Welcome to The Blind Side. News and information from a blindness perspective. Here's Jonathan Mosen. Nice to have you with us for episode 66 of the podcast, in which we'll be speaking with Jesper Holten. Jesper is in Denmark, and we're going to be finding out what it's like to be a blind person in Denmark. There are some advocacy challenges that they continue to work on in Denmark to make life better for blind people. There's also been a pretty significant victory of late. And it's always good when you have an advocacy victory, isn't it? So we'll talk about that in just a moment. I do want to tell you about something new that we're trying, and we'll do this from time to time. I thought it would be fun to open up the blind side so that for certain interviewees, listeners could ask questions. And it seemed the way to do that would be to consolidate the blind side and our talk show on Mushroom FM that my wife Bonnie and I do, a cuppa at the Mosins, because that's live. People can call in using the very popular Zoom cloud meeting client. Don't forget, if you've not heard of Zoom and you want to find out how to use it, we have a book in the Mosin Consulting store just for that called Meet Me Accessibly. And you can find that by going to mosin.org slash zoom. That's mosin.org slash zoom. And so we're going to be trying this with a really great guest. He's been on the blind side a couple of times, but when he's been on the blind side, we've been talking very specifically about Apple events. I thought it would be nice to have an extended chat with David Woodbridge to find out a little bit about his life in Australia, his background. Also, David, like a number of us, loves to collect gadgets. And he's got a list of gadgets that he's particularly pleased with for 2017. So we will talk about technology history, technology reminiscence. That's always fun. Technology that we've grown up with and that has now become obsolete. And we'll also be finding out about some 2017 technology that has caught David's attention. If you would like to participate in this and give David a call and maybe share your own tech memories and ask David a question or two, then A Cuppa at the Mosins on Mushroom FM will air on Thursday night at 7 p.m. U.S. Eastern Time. I apologize, that is still a little late. That equates to midnight for U.K. listeners. It is a good time for those of us in New Zealand and Australia, though. It's on a Friday, New Zealand and Australian time, 1 p.m. here in New Zealand, 11 a.m. Eastern Australia time. If you want to find out precisely how to contribute via Zoom or the phone, then the website for the show is mushroomfm.com slash kappa. That's mushroomfm.com slash C-U-P-P-A. We very much look forward to chatting with David Woodbridge and you on A Kappa at the Mosins on Mushroom FM. Now, if you can't hear the show live, then we will put together an abridged version of it for the Blind Side podcast next week. Now, it is amazing what captures the attention of Blind Side listeners. And I mentioned in passing, somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but in a little bit of frustration, all the kitchen construction that is going on at Mosin Towers, project managed by the famous Bonnie Mosin. There are only two contributions I've made to this kitchen. One is USB ports in the non-existent as yet breakfast bar. That's pretty neat. Although I would like a Qi charging breakfast bar. That would be even better. So you can just lay your smartphone on the breakfast bar and it just charges itself. I mean, that would be epic. We got the USB ports. We're not quite at the Qi charging stage of the breakfast bar yet. 
and the other contribution, because these days I am so health conscious, as you will know if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, is the fresh purified water dispenser that is built in to the sink bench, or it would be built into the sink bench if we had one, because we still don't have it. Bonnie is a really engaging person to talk to. One of the things that you know keeps keeps things so sparkly in our lives is that she's such a good conversationalist and she never runs out of interesting stories. And things keep happening to her that allow her to dine out on them. You know, little stories she can tell people. Well, I tell you, you wouldn't read about this. We got a phone call yesterday, as I record this podcast, actually. It came through yesterday from the people who we ordered this whole kitchen thing from. And they said, they said, we've got good news and we've got bad news. The good news is that your benchtop arrived. The bad news is that a crane ran it over and it's basically crushed and completely useless. I mean, it's just a staggering thing, isn't it? It's not quite as bad as it may appear because we're talking industrial designing and industrial molding and things. So once they have the design done, apparently it's not too difficult for them to make another copy of our bench and we hope to be back in action soon and then we have to wait of course for the installer to fit us in and we are we are assured that we're in a priority queue you know just like when you call on the phone um so hopefully we'll be up and running soon with a non-run over bench top and i'll be less grumpy it's time to hear from this week's featured guest on the blind side On the blind side, we've talked about a lot of technology lately, but we're about more than that. So we're going to talk about maybe a little bit of tech, but other issues as well as it pertains to Denmark. It's always interesting to find out what blindness services are like in different parts of the world and some of the unique challenges that are faced in various countries. So to talk about the Danish experience, I'm joined by Jesper Holten, who is with the Danish Association of the Blind now, but also has a wide background in assistive technology. So Jesper, it's great to have you here on the blind side. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Jonathan. It's a pleasure to be here. Tell me a little bit about Denmark. Denmark's a smallish country. It's a little bit larger in population than New Zealand, but not by much. Your population's what, about five and a bit million? Yeah, it's about 5.7 million people, uh, and it's yeah, it's a it's a small country in the northwestern part of Europe. So we are north of Germany, and we are east of the UK, separated by the North Sea, and we are in the southern part of Scandinavia, I should say. There's some suggestion that the welfare state is under some kind of pressure. I guess an aging population would be contributing to that and that would have an impact on blindness services as well, correct? Because obviously most people become blind uh, older in life and so with an aging population you've got some challenges there with the with the welfare model. That's correct. Uh, we get a lot of uh, increased population that are above the age of 70. People get older and older uh, but in, in the um, later years, people also have a tendency to get different kind of illnesses, uh, either lifestyle-related, like diabetes or heart-related issues or something like that. Uh, overweight, obesity um, is, of course, also a challenge for not only not only the old, but you know, every everyone else, I guess, can 
can have a tendency to, to eat too much and too unhealthy. But for blind people in Denmark, uh, most of the blind people are older compared to like a developing countries where it's, it's rather the other way around uh, blind people being younger and uh, in, in their employable age. Is there a universal benefit that is paid irrespective of whether a blind person is working to compensate for the cost of their disability? Uh, yes and no. It depends how old you are and, and when you got that benefit. Like me, I, I, I'm working, I have a, my, my normal salary uh, through DAP, uh, but I also get um, an amount from the state, um, which is to compensate for my visual impairment. But other people younger than me may not have that benefit, or it might be reduced um, due to different laws being applied, different social regulation being applied later. Okay, so it's not a universal benefit in 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 the sense that it's it's it, it is means tested in some way. It is, and it also depends on 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 what time you got it. Um, then we also have have like a social pension. Um, that means that if you are unable to work, you cannot you cannot uh, have a job um, due to your visual impairment or other issues that you may have. You can get a social pension, um, which is not age-related, really, um, or at least it used not to be, um, then you can get a social pension that is, you know, you can live uh, from it. It's, uh, it's, it's not, you don't get rich by any means, but it's, it's, it's not a, a small sum of money. However, in, uh, in recent years, that social pension law has been changed, so it's uh, one much more difficult to get the social pension in the first place. You really, really have to not being able to, you know, have have the chance to be in employment, um, and and also um, the age from which you can get the social pension has been increased. So you have to be above forty before you can get the social pension. Um, usually, unless you are really really having severe disabilities, then of course uh, um, regulation that takes care of that. So what happens to people under that age if they were unable to find employment? Well, most young people, like the age of uh, 18 to like 35, they get not the social pension, but another kind of support, which is limited in time and is also uh, somewhat lower in in terms of what you get out uh, each month. And you are under continuous pressure to, you know, to find that you're really being pushed but you're not necessarily being provided with the means or opportunities to, you know, take an education if you are so inclined or to, to get uh, vocational training if, if that's what you are uh, able to do. So they expect lots of you, but they may not necessarily provide the means for you to, to achieve. Unemployment is a big problem, certainly in countries like the United States and New Zealand and in a lot of countries that I'm familiar with. And there are estimates of unemployment among blind people being as high as 70 percent. Is that a similar issue in Denmark or have you got it sorted there? Yes, it is. It is similar. Okay, that's a shame. Unfortunately, yes, it's it's similar. It's about, well, it depends how you you do this kind of, of measurements, statistics, but yeah, it's a it's about seventy 
80%, something like that, unemployment, I should say. Why is that? I mean, you would think that maybe in a in a more um, hands-on governmental environment that there might be some programs that ensured in some way that a blind person got some sort of start that they need, maybe heavily subsidized employment schemes, whatever it took to maximize the potential. I still think that there's some skepticism amongst employers, lack of knowledge, especially of what blind and partially sighted and, and you know, people with other disabilities can do in the workplace. But as you have uh, on some of your shows also discussed with others, it's a matter of perspective. As soon as you get a blind and blind person into your company or into your workplace, you also realize that one, we are usually very loyal to the employer, and two, we are also very steady and you know we want to do our best to go out and, and do the job, provided that we get the the assisted devices and, and other supports that we may need in order to to do the job. You know, those employers that employ blind people, they are generally happy to have them. But there are lots of uh, potential employers out there who, due to lack of knowledge and also maybe to uh, the, the lack of will to gain the, to gain the knowledge, are uh, less uh, inclined to, um, to, to, to take a blind person on board. So when somebody does have that opportunity and they are offered work, what kind of assistance is available for providing them with the technology that they need? Are they able to, you know, we hear about how Europe is so much more of a pro-Braille culture and that, that there are people with you know, very expensive 80 cell Braille displays, one for home and one for the office kind of thing. So is, is that actually the case? Yes, um, to, to a certain degree it is. For one thing, we get the assistive devices provided for free, uh, both for us and for the employers. So it is uh, the local government that will pay for it in a job situation. And within limitations, of course, you basically get what you what you need. You have, of course, to, to justify it. But if you can justify your needs, then, then you will usually also get what you need in terms of jaws, in terms of uh, braille display, some job centers may even pay an iPhone for you so that you can use voiceover uh, and be mobile. But that's not all uh, job centers uh, which are responsible for, you know, giving the, the support through the local uh, municipalities. So it's not all of them that will, that will uh, give an iPhone, for instance. But, you know, you will get your JAWS, your Zoom text, your Braille display, uh, your data play, if that's what you need, or whatever other device you can get and on top of that you are also allowed to have a sighted assistance like a personal assistance which is being paid by the state that can either either be a co-worker or it can be like a student job for somebody depending on what you need in, in some instances you may, you may need a person who has a professional background similar to your own uh, if you're working with statistics for instance you may, you may need a person who can read mathematics and things like that and understand uh, symbols and, and, and uh, all the equation and things like that. But it may also just be that you need a, a student help who can read things aloud for you to uh, help you to get around if you are you know, an outgoing, active employer 
traveling here and there, you might need some some uh, assistance uh, going uh, going around. So so that can also be provided. Yes, Denmark's the country that gave us "Be My Eyes," is it not? Yes, it is. Um, it, it's true. That's Shiranda, uh, uh, who who uh, started up that project. Uh, is it five years ago or something like that? Time flying. But yeah, that's uh, that's that's really an interesting project that has that has taken and is being used a lot by blind people in ways. Yes, for sure. I'm curious that you mentioned iPhone specifically because I suppose there's a perception out there that in Europe Android is bigger than iPhone. Is that the case in Denmark, or is the iPhone a very popular choice there? Apparently, I just read an article a couple of years ago in one of our mainstream technology media that Denmark is very much an iPhone country. Uh, I think they mentioned that half of the smart devices or smartphones in Denmark are Apple devices. Like a month ago, we got Apple Pay introduced to Denmark, so, and we are a small country. Yeah, we have had Apple Pay for a wee while. It's it's amazing, isn't it? I mean, it's um, it, it's an it's incredible experience to use it. It is really great. Um, I just wish that that you know when you pay with Apple Pay that you will be able to also get um, a say of what you have actually bought. So you go to the supermarket, you would be able to say, oh, okay, I got two liters of milk. I paid this and that. But for that, you you still get the the printed receipt. Um, but that could be kind of neat if, if that could be made available. We have another parallel payment system, which is developed by one of the banks here in Denmark, which gives that option, but not Apple Pay yet. But it's 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 a very sleek experience, I must say, to use Apple Pay. It's a very, very good point. Is that parallel system available on iPhone? Yes, it is on, on, on iPhone and Android. How are they doing that? Because uh, traditionally the NFC chip on the iPhone is locked down, so I'm quite curious about how they're making that happen. They use Bluetooth. Aha, uh-huh. okay, so they're bypassing NFC. Yeah, they have to. Tell me about the Danish Association of the Blind, and I'm intrigued by the name because in countries like mine and the United States, there's a difference between for the blind and of the blind organizations, and I'm not sure whether that's universally the case, but Typically, the of the blind organizations are the advocates. They are often the vocal group who can sometimes be advocating to the blindness service provider for better participation in the decisions affecting us. And um, yeah, they they're the they're the lobbyists, if you like. And the for the blind organizations traditionally have been the providers. Do you have that kind of point of demarcation? Uh, in in Danish, yes, uh, but in Denmark, we we have traditionally only have this one and only organization um, of the blind. Um, DAP, uh, Danish Association of Blind, was established in 1911 by a group of uh, visually impaired people who wanted to have their own organization to do the exact thing that you just mentioned, uh, advocacy, advocating for rights to vote, for uh, job opportunities, you know, to not being excluded in, in society. And uh, that, that work has gone on pretty much since then. So we are very much an, an advocacy uh, organization. You're doing service provision as well, though. Is that the case? Yes, to some extent. We have the, the notion that, that you know, providing services for visual impaired should be done by the, by the state or by the government. 
uh, because I mean we are citizens of of Denmark uh, just like anybody else, and and therefore it should also be the state providing those services. However, as we see the the services decline, there's some discussion as to what extent DAP will have to take up the ball and maybe provide some some services. We do some rehabilitation of mostly uh, elderly people who go on short courses. We have a rehabilitation center um, in, in the central part of Denmark, a couple of hundred kilometers away from where I am now, uh, which is in the capital city. Um, and there we provide uh, courses for newly elderly blind people to come and be together with other blind people who can you know, provide them with opportunities to get more comfortable with that visual impairment and to get their bearings and to, you know, talk about that loss it has been for them to lose their sight. So when I think of the core rehabilitation services, I think orientation and mobility, techniques of daily living, guide dog services maybe, and then also you'd throw in some library services as well. Are all of those services fully government funded? Yes, it is. However, the guide dog service, just to, to take the one, is actually being provided by DAP. We train guide dogs. Um, I think this year it's going to be around 30 dogs being placed. Uh, there's another organization who also trains guide dogs, but it's much smaller and it's, it's, it's a newer organization that also trains uh, guide dogs. And that's a service that, that we provide, but we are being paid by the municipalities so the local authorities, but other services like you know library services like uh, OMN tra- training and uh, technical uh, training in daily living skills and assistive devices training things like that, that is usually being paid by what we call the communication centers, which are rehabilitation centers placed uh, around the countries on on the regional level, and and that's uh, that's just. Fine. However, they are under budget pressure these years, and I think what they should be providing, they are not necessarily providing in, in the full scale and measure and in the quality that is needed. When I talk to to blind friends and, and you know uh, members I meet along the way, some of them are really very frustrated about the service they get or the lack of service they get in terms of, of uh, training in JAWS or adequate OMN training, things like that. So sometimes they will have to go to DAP to get that training. We cannot do that for free. I mean, staff has to be paid and and building has to be maintained. So that will cost the members some money to go and get that training. It's not prohibitively expensive, but of course it's, it's some amount of money that people have to get out of their own pockets to do that. And not everyone in, uh, are willing to do that. It's really interesting the way blindness services vary around the world in quite unexpected ways. So, for example, in Australia and the United Kingdom and New Zealand, there is quite a lot of fundraising that has to go on for what I would consider core blindness services. And yet you look at the United States, which more often than not is sort of thought of as a laissez-faire kind of society, and they have their rehabilitation system, which gets a lot of government funding, and it's very much employment-driven. And so the success of their services really is measured 
by how many people are placed in work at the end of the process. The Danish system sounds a bit like the US system in the sense that there is a lot of government funding available, but do you? how do you measure outcomes? I mean, who determines and how do you determine whether a service is being delivered adequately or successfully? Um, that's a good question. I, I'm actually not sure. Uh, we, we have done some search for funding, uh, gotten funding uh, to do certain kind of research in like in terms of employment uh, to measure how many blind and partially sighted has gotten employment and, and the barriers for not uh, ge- getting employed. And of course, that shows some of the issues or barriers that that are there. But as to the actual, you know, outcome measurement, hardcore thing, it's also because Denmark is weird in the sense that we have 98 local municipalities, so that's the the local administrative level, but they are actually responsible for providing most of the social services besides health, so not including health services, but in terms of social services, welfare, uh, payment, check, things like that. That's a, that's the municipalities that pay for that. They also pay for the guide dog. They pay for your jaws license, things like that. Um, so, but since there are 98 entities in a small country, it's all, it also means that the knowledge they have in the individual municipalities are rather limited when it comes to a specialized area like blind and partial sighted. So they will have to get that knowledge from elsewhere. And it's not always they do that. The regional level can, can deliver the service anymore. Oh, that's, that's my personal opinion, I should say. Is there <clears throat> variation within those municipalities? I mean, are some delivering services better than others? Yes, and, and some of the municipalities are also larger than, than others. And of course, then they have the, the means to, to provide more uh, services and better quality of service. And if you take a, a municipality like the capital uh, municipality, I think they have about 800,000 uh, people. And then there's a municipality like the one I live in, just outside of Copenhagen. I think we have about 20,000 citizens here. And you can imagine that with only 20,000, that there are only so many blind and partially decided. And the municipality do not have the adequate knowledge to provide services themselves. So they go elsewhere to buy that service. And it costs money. And they have budgets to adhere to and to keep. So it's, they, they try to get away with the least they can um, in, in many cases. Gee, it sounds like quite a complex system to keep track of. It is. <laughs> Tell me about some of the issues that are on the forefront at the moment. One of them that interested me was, like many countries, not as many people are using the postal service anymore because letters are so old-fashioned and people can just email somebody and get an instant response. That's having an impact on the talking book program and the ability to deliver news in particular to blind people in a timely manner. Many of the municipalities provided until a few years ago a service so that the local newspaper would be read either by professionals or librarians or volunteers that would read out the, the week's article if it was a, a, a weekly periodical. And they would either put it on uh, tapes, 
cassette tapes or in, in later years on CDs uh, and mail it to people and one or two days later they would have it in, in their mailbox and they could put it into their data player, whatever they, they use and, and still get fairly updated news. No big deal. I think two years ago, or was it last year, that that service uh, changed so that now the postal service of Denmark is allowed to let uh, five days or more pass by before they have to deliver, um, before they're obligated to deliver a parcel or letter to your household. And they are also allowed to only deliver letters twice a week. So five, six days can easily go by before you get your, your CD with that newspaper. And then, of course, it's not really as newsworthy as it used to be. Um, and therefore, we are currently looking into, you know, getting a different distribution service into play that we can offer to the municipalities, to the volunteer newspaper services, reading services that are around, so that they can join on that platform and distribute it to people uh, wirelessly. I think it would be a bit like the NFB Newsline in the US and the Swedish, so our neighboring country in Sweden, have a similar digital service now that they um, that we could use probably. Digital delivery, how common is that in Denmark in terms of getting your talking books or other content delivered, say, through an iPhone app? This spring, the Library for the Blind and, and uh, Dyslexics they finally, after a lot of pressure, I think, especially from the dyslexics group, developed which is accessible. You can you can get your book, you can you can stream it on your iPhone, you can move back and forth, and you know uh, read through the book uh, fairly well. I should say it's it's a nice app. Um, it's not perfect, but uh, that's uh, that's definitely uh, a, a good first try. And also we have Daisy online, uh, but it's not their their first and foremost concern to get Daisy online rolled out uh, to the masses, so to speak. And also due to the the aging profile uh, of blind and partial sight in Denmark, not many, not the majority at least, do not have um, Daisy online uh, ready uh, players uh, ready uh, ready to. You know, to to take on on the books and and uh, and uh, uh, magazines or whatever they're reading. Radio reading services are they a thing? No. In Sweden, they used to have this radio-based system, and I think uh, they they had a similar system in in Germany at some point, where newspapers would be read over the over the FM band, uh, and then people could sit at the radio and read it. So no, we don't have a system like that. Mm. So it's always been. Uh, distributed either on tape or on CD in recent years, and and then later on download. I mean, I can go on the the library website uh, if I want to uh, download a book in zip format, unzip it, and put it uh, on my Daisy player, or I can use the Daisy online function uh, when I have put the on the bookshelf, and then you know download the book that way onto my player and, and read it. And and usually, most in most cases, we still use Schumann's uh, Schumann narrations to to read the book. So it's not uh, text to speak like you would have on Bookshare, for instance. How many people speak English in 
in general in Denmark. So, I mean, I imagine that with such a small country and your own native language, it might be difficult sometimes where you have an app that you really would like to be able to use. But if you're not an English speaker and that app hasn't been translated, it can prevent people from accessing it. I think especially for the, the, the older generations or young people who have for some reason not finished their, their primary education, then English is different, definitely a challenge. They may not be able to access information in English uh, sufficiently. They may be able to understand something, but they wouldn't use it as their first uh, means just for communication and to obtain knowledge. Uh, other people like me who are fairly well educated and who has been traveling around I think for us it, it may be a, a different story altogether because we, of course, want to jump, jump on the wagon and, and get as much information as we possibly can. I've been a Bookshare user since 2010, I believe, when it opened up uh, more internationally and I was able to join uh, the service. And I, I, the most of the books I read, for instance, that's for Bookshare because they have a much wider range of choice of literature that I would like to read compared to what I can read in Danish. Now, another issue that you mentioned to me was the matter of transportation. The way that we handle that in New Zealand is that we have a 50% subsidy that is available to people who can demonstrate they have a need for it on taxis. And I think they'll probably be wanting to extend that to ride-sharing services like Uber in due course. But right now, there are approved taxi services, and you can um, you can take any taxi that is admitted to the scheme, and you have a little swipe card that takes 50% off the fare. You've got an even more elaborate system that provides free transport, but it's only very recently that that's been opened up to blind people. Well, the, the the system I mentioned for you is not totally free, but it's also it's very heavily subsidized. The system has been used by physically disabled people for years, where and and the system goes like this: you you order for transportation from wherever you are to to your destination, uh, and you have to do that uh, no later than two hours in advance, and then at the designated time. Um, Either a cab or a minibus rolls up to the door, you jump in. Uh, you may have to go one or two other places to either pick up other passengers or to deliver them. So you might you're not going straight from your from from where you are to your destination from point A to B. But you might have to have a little detour, but it's not like you're roaming the countryside for hours on end. And then you're delivered to your destination and you pay a fee comparable to what you would pay if you took the bus okay so the public transportation so that's that's how the system is and it sounds quite similar to the paratransit system that they operate in the united states yes it does um, i think it goes on the same principle but until a couple of weeks ago in most cases we were not able as blind and partially decided to get on that service because the system has thought us to be, you know, since we can walk and, you know, get around, we are not applicable or we're not applicable to use that service. Some municipalities, because they're, you know, they work very independently, they allowed blind and partially decided to get into the system. 
um, but that was only the case for about 20% of the municipalities. But now it's going to be passed into law uh, universally so that we can be um, accepted into this transportation scheme, which I think is a significant advocacy triumph for, for, for DAP's point of view. And it's something that they have been working on for like a decade or more. What do you perceive the benefits of that to be? How do you think it's going to change life for blind people who, who are now able to access the scheme? Especially for elderly people who may be scared or fearful of traveling around independently on the street, either because they, don't, they haven't received adequate O&M training or just because, you know, due to age, they're not really comfortable traveling by themselves. They will now have a chance to take this... Uh, this transit system, this minibus service to from, from their apartment to like um, social activities, family visits, uh, church, what have you. So for them, I think that will be a way to get out of their apartment or their house and to get into the social circles uh, again more easily than, than they used to be. Because what we know from studies is that lots of, of elderly people they do not have the network that they used to be. Family may not be around or they may not want to visit them because they now are blind. So why, why should we visit grandma? And uh, maybe their sighted uh, husband uh, died uh, some years back and they just haven't gotten the resources to, uh, to get out of the house by themselves and, and, you know, to do things. And this service will at least give them uh, a tool to go out or the means to, to go out and, and, and be more sociable if, if they wish to. So, so for, for those, I think it, it hopefully will have a big impact. Um, even for me personally, even though I travel independently, uh, both I and my wife are blind, um, but we also have a small son who is a toddler. And, uh, you know, if we want to go places that we are not necessarily going very often, I've never been to before, it can be a bit of um, a challenge, uh, anyways, and uh, in in that instance, I think this service could definitely be a good thing. And even you know, during the weekend, we only have bus services once an hour. So if we want to leave our house, we really have to to time it to uh, this only once an hour bus that takes us to the local train station. The only downside to this service is that you cannot use it to go and, uh, you know, to go to the hospital for medical checkups. But there's a system for that that you can use. Um, and that one is free. Or um, you cannot uh, traveling back and forth to your, to your place of work. That's interesting. Is that the employer's responsibility to fund that? No. It's your own responsibility to get back and forth between your home and your workplace. Okay. That for some can also, I think, be a barrier for, you know, getting uh, to get employed because people may be challenged, you know, to, to get around or to the workplace may be in a, in a locale that is not very easily accessible. Maybe you have to cross a major highway. Maybe it's in an, an industrial area where you trucks or, or, or big vehicles are moving around, so you might be uh, in, in danger. That, that, that can be issues, definitely. Or, like, in, in my wife's case, she is uh, currently in an internship in a, in a UN organization. And the, 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 the area, the UN area, has guidelines, it has talking elevators and everything. 
and there's even a guideline from the intersection to the UN complex. However, crossing the street is impossible because the, the traffic light doesn't have an acoustic signal and it's not a T-cross or you know a four-way crossing. It's just a straight road, but you still have to cross and it's regulated. So she has to ask for help every morning when she wants to cross the street because it's, it's a very heavily trafficked street at times. So just taking your chances and crossing is out of the question. Yeah, right, <clears throat> for sure. It is election eve as we record this, so that's exciting. Now, tell me about the voting process in terms of its accessibility. Yeah, it's, it's uh, an interesting one because as we're speaking tomorrow, it's our local uh, election. We have elections for all those 98 uh, municipalities and our five regions. So a lot of politicians are going to be elected tomorrow. And when I go to the polling station in my local area, I am allowed to um, take a person I choose by myself to go into the to the box. And I can then say, well, read the list for me, or if I know the candidate I'll vote for, the party I'll vote for, I can say to that person, put the, the mark there, and, and she will do it. I can also, if I don't trust that person 150%, I can also ask one of the officials to go with me and to check that she puts uh, the mark where I want it to be. And then, of course, I take the ballot and, and put it into the box afterward. But I can also say I come by myself and I'm just me, uh, go to the officials' table, and two uh, of the officials, one from each of the different parties, and we usually have a lot of parties, but it has to be, you know, one from the left and one from the right right side of the spectrum, so to speak. But it's not it's not accessible. I cannot do it independently. There's a small uh, percent, a small, I think, four or five municipalities where they're now setting up a special place where you have uh, magnifying glasses so at least partially society can go in there and, you know, do the thing by themselves, put the mark, use the magnifying glass, read down the list and put the mark. Of course, the, the obvious thing to do down the line is to get an electronic uh, ballot system into place so that we can go to the uh, polling station and, uh, and and go to a computer, turn on voiceover or JAWS or whatever, um, plug in headphones, uh, turn off the screen, read through the list, uh, check the checkbox and send it and sign it with our digital signature, which we use in Denmark for everything else. So, so why not for this? But we are not there yet. But that's hopefully where we'll end someday that that we can vote, you know, through an electronic system. Or if, if people cannot do that, that they can still use the pen and paper and whatever other means that are uh, available. Yes, I'm not sure if you heard the discussion that we had with our electoral officials before the election about the way that New Zealand Very is handling this now. to hear about that, yeah. Um, with, the, with the phones? Yeah, it comes <laughs> back to the point that you were making before about how some people do find it difficult to, to get out. And that way it means that a totally blind person can vote completely secretly uh, without leaving home. Mm. Yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely an interesting, uh, an interesting system. And I've, I've, I'm going to mention it for, uh, for our president. I've somehow slipped my mind, but it's, it could be a way to go also. So maybe we should do a study trip to New Zealand one of these days to see how you do things. And, you know, in, 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 in other countries, like in some developing countries, 
you you know they have designed these special ballots with with holes and 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 marks so you can read down the list and that you can more or less independently put your thumbprint there and then cast your vote that's 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 a different setup and mm. it, but it's used in in some developing countries especially in in Africa uh, so so that's another way to do things yes yes there there are a number of ways around it What's participation like in key institutions? I always find it interesting to find out in a country whether you have any prominent blind people in positions like the media, the judiciary, in in the legislature at all, because I think that makes such a difference when blind people are involved at that level. Uh, we have currently and have also through uh, through the years have a number of journalists who are blind in uh, in our radio, in our national radio. So that's definitely one one place. We have also have a few uh, pastors and priests who are blind and are, are preaching each Sunday in church. Uh, I think we have two or three uh, pastors. And I think that's also, at least for the churchgoers, to my knowledge, we don't have any blind people in the legislature. We don't have any ministers who are blind. And we have very few who are standing for election in the in uh, in the local level and the municipal level, unfortunately, I think we should definitely uh, try to change that. But I think it's a it's a difficult difficult process to to get into that system because uh, there are many people there who want to do the same thing, and you know, people want to do the comfortable thing. But I'm sure one day, definitely, we'll have a minister who is blind. I mean, if Sweden can do it, if the UK can do it, why not Denmark? Well, why not indeed? Technology has played a big part in your own life. You've been using computers since, what, you go back to the 80s with computers, right? Yeah, I was uh, 14, turning 15 when I got my my first computer. Uh, That was a a locally produced Braille display together with an an IBM uh, PS2 uh, using DOS back in the day. Um, And then a few few years later, I got my first uh, text-to-speech using a local locally produced Danish um, both speech synthesizer and screen reader for DOS. Of course, then later, uh, Windows came along and I, I transitioned to JAWS. I've been using JAWS for yeah, more than 20 years now. So I'm, I'm one of the early adapters of JAWS. I've been using Braille displays well, yeah, since that first device I got. And now I use a, a Focus 40 display mostly. Um, and a, a Braille Note Touch these days. And when it really needs to be mobile, I have my Focus 14, though my, my wife tends to borrow it. Yeah. Lot these days. So. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. it easily fits into a handbag. So. Yeah, that, that's always a hassle when, you, when, you, when you're a blind couple and you find your assistive technology has gone walking. <laughs> but it's really been fascinating to learn about how things work where you are and and there are some universal similarities i think and then there are some unique circumstances that vary per country so it's been fun to explore this with you and learn a little bit more about what is happening in denmark it's it's really been a good talk indeed um i think you know the 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 thing that we need to do as a as a blinded community globally is to to be good at advocacy, advocating for our rights, and and to be outspoken about what we need to, what we can do, what we can achieve as as blind and partially sighted 
and and to get that message across so that we can be included even more in society, that we are not getting stigmatized, excluded, etc., from from society. And I really think that that's the thing that we have to work continuously for and on. And in in that regard, it was also really good to listen to uh, to Frederick Schroeder uh, a couple of issues back. Um, I, I found that very highly interesting indeed. Thanks for listening to The Blind Side, a production of Mosin Consulting, on the web at mosin.org.